Welcome to Inspiring Stories from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is part one of the Asbury College Revival. In 1970, while the times were a change in, college campuses across the United States throbbed with rebellion. The media daily carried stories of students who had discarded their parents' and society standards in favor of free love, radical feminism, drugs, Eastern religions, and acid rock. These were students who also had grown up in prosperity, but who rejected materialism and decried the poverty of millions of their countrymen. They denounced environmental damage, consumer waste, racial divisions, and the nuclear threat under which they had spent their childhoods. The assassinations of John Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert Kennedy had left many young people disillusioned about America. Of all the causes college students took up, however, none was more fervently adopted than protesting the war in Vietnam, costing tens of thousands of American lives. At many colleges and universities, students arranged sit-in demonstrations, clogging administration buildings, preventing faculty and staff from reaching their offices and classrooms. Many of the young radicals helped bring down President Johnson, who didn't even attend his own party's convention in Chicago in 1968 because of their fierce and violent rallies against him. When President Nixon announced in the spring of 1970 that he was sending American ground forces into Cambodia to halt the flow of supplies from that country to North Vietnam, students once again set their campuses aflame. Some colleges and universities even closed in protest. Then a tragedy unfolded. On May 4th, a noontime protest broke out at Ohio's Kent State University. For days, students had clashed with local police, breaking windows and inflicting other property damage. Ohio's governor called out the National Guard, but the unit that responded was not well-trained in crowd control. When students began stoning the guardsmen, the troops fired into the crowd, killing four and wounding 11 others. Of those who died, two were female students passing by on their way to class. Less than two weeks later, Police in Mississippi killed two black student protesters at Jackson State University. Americans shook their heads as they watched the anguish on television, wondering what this generation was coming to. Not all students were protesting, but the most vocal and dramatic ones, who were in fact a minority, commanded the most media attention. During that unsettled time in American history, many other college students were undergoing a different kind of change. The Jesus Movement had broken out, with thousands of young people turning on to Jesus, tuning into the Holy Spirit, and dropping out of the quest for meaning via sex, drugs, and rock and roll. 
Nowhere was this more visible than at a small Methodist college near Lexington, Kentucky, where God set the campus aflame with his presence that convulsive spring of 1970. On a cold and windy February day, 1,000 Asbarians gathered for 10 a.m. chapel in Venerable Hughes Auditorium, seated according to their classes. The dean had been scheduled to preach, but at the last minute he decided to give a testimony about what God was doing in his life. Then he offered to let a few students do the same. Lately on campus there had been a sense of expectation that God was about to manifest himself in a mighty way, and many had been praying fervently for revival. A few students stepped to the platform to tell heartfelt stories of God's grace in their lives. As they spoke, a sense of God's presence filled the auditorium. The chapel period came to an end, and one professor called any students who wanted to pray to come forward and kneel at the altar. Unexpectedly, a mass of Asbarians thronged toward the front as everyone took up the hymn, Just As I Am. The bell rang for classes to begin, but it went unheeded as student after student began publicly to confess his or her sins. Reconciliations occurred between former enemies, and strained relationships were healed. By noon, the chapel service was still going strong. One professor went to the cafeteria for a department meeting, only to discover that the place was nearly deserted. He headed over to Hughes to find out why chapel hadn't ended yet. The college's administration canceled the rest of the day's classes. Almost all of the 1,550 seats in Hughes were filled as the service lasted into that evening. One student reported losing track of time with no sense of hunger, thirst, or other physical needs. The revival spread across the street to Asbury Seminary the next day during its scheduled chapel service and many townspeople from Wilmore, the community surrounding Asbury, came to Hughes Auditorium. As the non-stop service continued into the rest of the week, several local pastors urged their flocks to attend the revival rather than their own church services that Sunday. Stay tuned for Part 2 of the 1970 Asbury College Revival. My new novel, Sweet, Sweet Spirit, about one woman's spiritual journey to the Asbury College Revival, is now available at Amazon.com. Thank you for joining me for Inspiring Stories from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney. Thank you.